Hey guys, just a quick reminder that me and the Beardy One will be doing a live show from Celluloid Screams this year. That's at the Showroom Cinema in Sheffield on Friday, October the 19th at 3pm. It'll be all the usual stuff you get from an episode. There'll be a guest and film combo. Uh, we'll be giving away some free swag courtesy of our pals at Arrow Video. And we'll also be doing a live Mitch's Pitches. We'll hopefully see you there and now on with the episode. Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, I make gloopy, disgusting films. And joining us tonight, we have, uh, you know her best as a producer for Glass Eye Picks, uh, also possibly know her best as the director of The Ranger, joined tonight with Jen Wexler. Jen, hi! Hey guys, how's it going? Really good. How are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, um, <laughs> you picked an interesting one from the like compared to the kind of things that normally come up on this show. But and we spoke about this at the time, and uh, I've spoken to a couple of people who were kind of surprised by the choice because obviously you've gone for Armageddon. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and I said when people people were kind of like Armageddon what I said that we have kind of very few kind of entry requirements for the films that people choose for this one of them is that it's horror action or sci-fi generally and the other is that it has to have either been underseen or have a critical reception that you could make the argument for it being underrated basically so it technically fits the profile. It's just like it's a much higher profile film than pretty much anything else that we've done. Yes. But it, it, yeah, it's it it qualifies. And when you said it, I was like, yeah, let's do it because it's different. It's certainly not yeah. underseen. Not underseen at all. You know, this is a show for movies that deserve a second chance, and I think Armageddon absolutely deserves a second chance. I think it's an amazing movie, and this happens to be it's. 20th anniversary. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your background with the film and uh, kind of, and yeah, pretty much why you chose it, but yeah, how you first came across it and that kind of thing. Well, first of all, Heather Buckley, who you guys have had on your show, yep. um, who's my producer on The Ranger, she loves that I love Armageddon. And she's, she's like, Jen, you have to go on a podcast and talk about your love for Armageddon. So I felt that this was an awesome moment to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, um, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was 12 years old when Armageddon came out. Mm -hmm. And it was also the year that Deep Impact came out. <laughs> it was kind of the year of comets headed towards Earth movies. And I saw them both in the movie theater. And it was just so... At the time, I just felt it was like, I, I kind of watched it like I would watch any big Hollywood blockbuster. I don't know if I fully appreciated it until 
maybe 10 years later, I was in my early 20s. And I don't remember why I was rewatching it, but I was rewatching it. And I was like, Oh, my God, this movie is so good. Like every moment is just amazing. It just keeps you entertained throughout. And then I decided, you know, in my early 20s, I was like, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I will defend it to the ends of the earth if ever ever anybody goes up against me about it. Okay, I I was 12 when it came out as well. I was either 11 or 12. And um, it was one of those things where um, I didn't see it in the theater when it came out. But it was one of those things where... You know, when you were that age and a few of you would go around to someone's house kind of after school or on a weekend or something, and you had a film that was kind of on in the background, uh-huh. but it was kind of like parentally approved oh, right. yeah, okay. kind of thing. And I seem to remember that like in 1998, there was a couple of times I was there and it was on in the background. But basically what that meant was, because I never went back to it. And it means that I'm kind of like, when you suggested it, I was kind of aware of what it was about and the kind of film that it was. But I was basically watching it for the first time. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm watching a lot of these for the first yeah, time. Yeah, pretty much every episode almost <laughs> is your, your first watch or something. So that's fine. Yeah. I was a little bit older. Okay. Um, I would have been, well, this was a big kind of summer film in 98. So I'd have been, what, 17? And I saw it in the cinema. And uh, I think at the time I was kind of taken by the bombast of it all. And... Uh, I remember kind of renting it from the video shop when it came out and watching it with my mum and uh, she was in floods of tears and I thought that was hilarious. I just thought, (laughs) this is the goofiest fucking film (laughs) in the world. Why are you crying at this? Um, And yeah, I I taunted her mercilessly for it. But (laughs) I think a lot of the film's more emotional beats towards the end. I don't know if it's 20 years later, maybe, I'm, uh, maybe I've softened, or, <laughs> but I found myself like getting, oh, I'm on the verge of being a bit choked up here. <laughs> um, we can get to that, when, when, uh, because I had a couple of moments like that as well, and I wasn't necessarily going to admit to it, but now you have, we can talk about it. Um, <laughs> absolutely admit to it i have no statement admitting to it before we get into this jen we're going to do one thing really quick that we do with everyone that comes on the show andy is going to put 30 seconds on the clock and uh going to count you in and for the benefit and i mean there's probably about six people in the western world that haven't seen armageddon but for the (laughs) but for the benefit of anyone that hasn't seen it we're going to give you 30 seconds to synopsisize the film to the best of your ability yeah cool i'm so ready Okay. Right, okay. Right. So what I like. We got it. We got yeah, it. I'm ready. Go, okay. man. Okay. Right. Three, two, one, go. Okay. An asteroid is headed towards Earth, and there's no way to escape it. Life is going to end when it hits the Earth. Um, NASA decides the only people that can that can save the Earth is this ragtag group of oil drillers. So they're going to send them up to the asteroid and they're going to drill into the asteroid and drop a nuclear bomb into the asteroid. And the goal is to explode it before the asteroid collides with the Earth. Time. Great. Perfect. Absolutely spot on. Those his- yeah. those historically go quite poorly. I was, That's the, one of the best ones we've had. Also, I like the fact that I could, as you were getting into talking about drilling into it and dropping the nuclear bomb in it, I could properly hear the excitement rising in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, r- ragtag is a good way to describe the drillers yeah. in the group, I they're, think. They're ragtag. They're, they and NASA are opposite ends of the spectrum. They're fish out of water in the NASA world. Yeah, and you get like, and sure. definitely, and um, like, yeah, they've got no idea. It's, I think that when they first turn up, and they've got no idea how to take them, that's kind of funny, I think. With the exception of Steve Buscemi, who's a genius in it. Yeah. He's like got a degree from MIT. Yeah, he doesn't come off that way, though. He comes off like a pedophile. 
<laughs> I've got that in my notes. <laughs> I've got it because a, a few times in it, he does touch on um, whether or not that the girls he's uh, approaching are of the requisite age. Um, yeah, it's a creepy vibe. Uh, it starts where we would expect, where much of the film is set in space with a flashback to 65 million years ago. Yeah. Um, and a, a rather a heavy-handed voiceover from everyone's favourite insane gun proponent and acting legend, Charlton Heston. Yep. I had no idea it was him until you told me. But yeah, we kind of get, a, we got kind of like a little bit of a potted history, a, a comet hitting the earth. <laughs> potted history, yeah. Yeah, and a, a thousand years of impenetrable dust clouds and all yeah, this kind all of that stuff. Basically, the earth got fucked by a six-mile-wide asteroid. And it's basically a, a warning that it's inevitable that it's going to happen again. I kind of love that it just starts with this voiceover and the voiceover never comes back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, Michael Bay was just like, this is what we're doing and that's it. And don't ask me any questions. <laughs> I must admit, like, it really threw me off um, when it when it started and the voice started and it was like 65 million years ago. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Um, I would also make the contention that I think the clearest indicator of the kind of film that you're getting, and also I think possibly the most Michael Bay moment that's ever been committed to cinema, is when the word Armageddon explodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. Just going back to what you said about Michael Bay just telling people to fucking shut up and fuck off. Um, <laughs> The commentary on this, Ben Affleck talks about he approached Michael Bay to discuss would it not make more sense to train astronauts to drill rather than train drillers to be astronauts and he said that Michael Bay turned to him and said Ben, shut the fuck up. It just <laughs> literally, we're already filming the fucking thing. I love that so much. That's so good and I love that attitude. I mean, you know, having directed The Ranger, I know the feeling you're on set and someone points out something very logical and then you're just like, go the fuck away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also think that, to be fair, I think that a film about astronauts being trained to be drillers would be considerably less entertaining than a film about drillers training to be astronauts. Oh, are you kidding? Think of the the thing. We've already seen the things that can go wrong from professional drillers. Imagine drafting in amateur drillers into that situation. Come on, Mitch. That's a laugh riot. Um, I think we meet uh, Dan Truman, Billy Bob Thornton, pretty much right away at this point, kind of trying to reason with an astronaut doing some kind of like uh, space maintenance and he's being kind of quite panicky about it. Billy Bob Thornton's always been a kind of funny actor for me because I think that sometimes I really struggle with him as a screen presence and sometimes I feel like he just fits roles that are roles kind of fit him like a glove. I think he does really good work in this film. Yeah. He's he's one of our anchors to Earth. Yeah. Uh, without really without Billy Bob Thornton and Liv Tyler there's no reason to really revisit Elf that's true um, yeah he's the constant the constant guy throughout yeah he's kind of like and we've actually we've talked about this a couple of times about other films on the show where it's like up films that regardless of how crazy they are you kind of notice that there's kind of this one constant then it's like a character that kind of keeps the kind of keeps things grounded and kind of keeps things from going like kind of too fanciful that kind of thing <laughs> if you like you know what I mean I, I was a little bit concerned at the start when he when he was saying things like "I'll give you a buckle a buffalo nickel if you calm down" and stuff like that. I thought it was all <laughs> I thought it was all going to be a little bit folksy, but it doesn't really go down that road with him. I don't think. Yeah, he's he's again another. Even though he's working for NASA, he's a guy we're supposed to identify with. He's like our guy in NASA. I totally agree. Yeah, 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 definitely. He's the he's the he's the everyman. Um, and then you get your kind of disaster strikes for the first time. It's mistaken as missiles at the time, but it's obviously it's a meteor shower. Yeah, poor astronaut Pete. 
Yeah, um, I was gonna. I was gonna say the first explosion of the film. The second, if you count uh, the word uh, well, Armageddon. The third, if you count the Earth, <laughs> then uh, then the word Armageddon. Yes. Yeah, um, the word Armageddon. That's the most important explosion <laughs> of the whole movie. I completely agree. It's 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 definitely it's in my top three favorites as well. Something that this film does quite a lot, and you kind of get the first of these in this scene. Like I say, when uh, astronaut Pete gets battered with a kind of flaming space rocks. This is kind of the first of many tight zooms into people's faces while they're looking aghast. Oh yeah, totally. I love how many there are of those. It's so good. And they never bore me. I could watch them forever. Like, I could put this movie on, like, I could watch it and then rewatch it right away. Every time. Jesus I've seen Christ. it many times. And every, because I always show this movie to, like, new people in my life and if they haven't seen it. And um, and actually, there's, I've met quite a few people who have not watched it or who just brushed it off. And every time I, when I get close to somebody, I take the opportunity to show this to them. And uh, yeah, I can watch it forever. Back to back in that is five hours out of your day. <laughs> that's 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 yeah. serious. That's commitment. It's a good. I think I watched it once on like Fourth July. I would I would watch it multiple times on something like the Fourth of July. Oh yeah, that's very it's it's very patriotic throughout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Perhaps yeah, yeah. to a fault. There's there's quite a lot of shots of uh, Bruce Willis just kind of standing in front of an American flag. <laughs> how 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 long would you have to kind of get to know somebody, Jen, before you thought now's the time? It's Armageddon time. I a couple months. Right. I have okay. <laughs> shown it to at least three romantic partners and okay. <laughs> it's been like, okay, I think now's the time for you to know the truth about me. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that you're kind of, in my head you're opening like this wooden chest with like a weird Pulp Fiction glow inside it and the guy's like, what the fuck's this? And then you bring out your well-worn copy of Armageddon. Yeah. I love that, I love that. It's like, yeah, we've been getting to know, know each other for a little while now. It's time I told you. <laughs> it's true. It's amazing. So it's pr- true, me. Pretty quickly we cut to Carl, uh, the amateur astronomer. Now, for an amateur astronomer, he doesn't have an amateur telescope. It looks like he, he's got like a fucking observatory, but he lives in a trailer. So he's cl- yeah. he's clearly spent all his money <laughs> on the biggest fucking telescope you've ever seen in your life. That's true. I'm I'm always very confused about that location. <laughs> yeah, I am. I had the exact same thing uh, because for one thing, yeah, he was like he started screaming at his wife from this kind of like this giant, this giant, giant telescope, and then she just kind of goes back in. And I was like, oh wait, they live in a trailer. Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> I also love that we like get to know these characters really intimately but only really fast and then it's like bye yeah no he tells his wife to go and phone nasa and she puddles off to do that in my head it's very much he doesn't want to take his eye off this meteor in case he loses it yeah but then in the very next scene he's on the phone to nasa i am uh... so he made the call anyway by the way, his wife's played by Grace Zabriskie, who's amazing. Oh, yeah, she is. I um, uh, I think that you're quite right, though, Jen. It's like we meet that character or those characters really quickly. And the way that they're introduced, I was like, oh, I'm assuming that this guy is in it for the long haul. He's going to be like a character in the film. And then he's they're just gone again. Yeah, they just disappear. He serves his purpose. He's kind of like, um, Carl's unravels the, the whole plot, if you like. Kind of like a, a less sexy version of Jeff Goldblum from Independence Day. Yeah. And with, I guess with less input into the overall proceedings. Uh, there's a lot of uh, some 
pretty high-end devastation after this because you get like a few like select shots of different parts of Earth getting decimated by meteor showers. Well, I think is it yeah. not exclusively at this point? It's exclusively New York. Um, my favorite characters in this scene—that's uh, Little Richard, the French bulldog. <laughs> okay. It's definitely like disaster porn for sure <laughs> in this, and it's also—I mean, to be honest, I'm a New Yorker. It's pretty depressing to watch. There's, you know, some shots that are a little close to home there yeah. with Trade Center and whatnot. That but, that crossed my mind actually. Yeah, because there's one there's one very distinct World, World Trade Center shot when I was like, oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you get the usual bayhem here. You get the cars. You could pause pretty much any scene of this carnage and like CG a transformer in. And right. there's a four by four, I think, that spirals through the air for about five seconds. I rewound it. I was like, fucking hell, that, car's in, that car is on screen a long time. Yeah. No, this part of the movie actually is very depressing to me. But then <laughs> we move on to the next part of the movie, which is much better. Uh, yeah, um, we learn quite a bit more about the scale of the problem, I think, um, at this point, because we kind of find out in pretty rapid succession that, yeah, it's it's debris from an asteroid the size of Texas. Yeah. That's one thing we hear. Also, we find out from a guy who kind of like comes furiously battling into the room where they're trying to talk about what they're going to do. And we find out that we have 18 days to solve this problem before humanity is wiped out. And there's no way to get away from it. I'm, I'm not sure if that's in this section, but there's pretty much, you can't escape it. Yeah, I think it's set up that, that it's definitely pretty final. Like, I think that it's, I, I, I think that it's actually the words global killer are used. But yeah, uh, the stakes are pretty high. Uh, I would say more aghast faces. And then right to uh, possessive single parent and third generation driller, Harry Stamper. Yeah. Yeah, Jen, I want your take on uh, the character introduction that we get here, because there's a lot going on. I think that this is such amazing screenwriting. Um, and filmmaking, actually, because you very quickly meet all of the major players in this oil driller team. And you do it in this really, you know, interesting character driven way, which is like Bruce Willis is really pissed at Ben Affleck that Ben Affleck's like sleeping with his daughter, Liv Tyler. So Bruce Willis is like chasing him around the oil rig boat thing. And um, as as he's chasing him, you know, you're meeting Steve Buscemi and you're meeting you're, you're, you're meeting everybody, Owen Wilson, like and you're kind of seeing how all the different characters are reacting to this little mini chase. Yeah, it's kind of uh, characters are kind of introduced on rails. Kind of, they kind of pop up as the, the kind of chase progresses. Um, and you learn a lot about I mean, you learn the main struggle, the main triangle dynamic between Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and Liz Tyler. It's all there and that will obviously continue throughout the movie yeah and and you're right the, the way the way that the people the way that the characters are reacting as introduced aren't just you're not just seeing the characters you're getting a little bit of a taste of all their different personalities as well yeah quick hop into trivia corner here oh, yeah originally they wanted arnold schwarzenegger to play harry stamper what uh, that'd have been quite a different experience. I prefer Bruce Willis. I, would, I agree. Yeah, I would. Abs- I would absolutely agree. I find it almost impossible to take Arnold Schwarzenegger seriously, and I think for him to try and deliver on the kind of emotional heft towards the end, I think would be just a bit out with his reach. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just to summarize very quickly, yeah, Bruce Bruce Willis catches AJ Ben Affleck in bed with his daughter, and then um, I can like yeah, Jason Hughes, which ends up with AJ Ben Affleck getting shot in the leg. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like it was just a thing ricocheting off of him, like a piece of metal. 
Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, That's like, because like, he's fine the rest of the movie. Like, he's running around. He's good. <laughs> uh, not the smartest move, I don't think, to be firing off a shotgun and an oil rig. I think they're quite explosive. Well, there's an explosion pretty soon after that, right? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, but this just shows how badass Bruce Willis is. <laughs> good thriller that he could shoot guns on the oil rig and still be fine. He's the best in the world. Um, the other thing as well, actually, um, is that because I th- it would be quite easy to introduce AJ here as being kind of a like a little bit of a fuck up of a character, and because the chase is kind of cartoonish, but like it's just around that time that they're also like, oh, he's the best guy on the crew. They tell you that pretty quickly, yeah, uh, just so that for the avoidance of any kind of doubt. I love a scene. It's a tiny little scene that comes up just after this when it kind of cuts back to NASA and there's this one really flustered guy desperately trying to illustrate his plan to set up gigantic mylar sails to catch the asteroid and he gets kind of roundly laughed out the room and uh, I always feel a bit bad for him he's, at least he's trying something <laughs> yeah other NASA guys don't yeah. judge yeah <laughs> fuck those guys yeah those fuck those guys, guys. <laughs> um and then, yeah, like, um, we kind of get a little bit of a background here as well. Um, a lot of kind of fairly important relationships are set up around here. Mm-hmm. And um, one of those, as you said, Jen, is between uh, uh, Stamper, Bruce Willis, and uh, Liv Tyler, Grace, his daughter. And we get the kind of we get the kind of the understanding that her grow her upbringing has been a little bit kind of unique, <laughs> and that she's been on rigs her whole life, pretty much, and stuff like that. At this point, I have a little bit of... I had a hard time with Liv Tyler in this film in terms of like the way the characters introduced and the kind of shouting match that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of struggle with the performance a little bit there. Right. But but she makes a pretty big statement at that point. She quits. Or she makes a move to quit. To quit the family, yeah, the family quit. business. Yeah, to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you kind, of get, you kind of get a sense there that she kind of, she's got a little bit of her dad in her there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. you know? Totally. One of my favourite little moments of an isolation there is when... They're kind of walking around the rig um, and she's just talking about how her life's been, how she's been brought up essentially around all these guys. And she talks about how uh, Steve Buscemi's character had to take her to Taipei to get tampons when she had her first period. (laughs) Buscemi's performance there is amazing. It's so good. (laughs) See, now we've met met most of the characters in here. I want to ask a quick question to both of you. Jen, who do you think is the MVP here, performance-wise? I mean, Steve Buscemi is like consistently hilarious and also just doing his Steve Buscemi thing yeah yeah this is a hard question because i think that they all deliver they're all so good you know it's like an ensemble piece and they're all like playing their their parts no yeah go on you go much go no, on you've got an opinion <laughs> no i agree i think i i think that steve i think steve buscemi's probably uh i think he's the strongest link here how about you i know i don't think he's introduced in this particular scene but for the the brief period that he's in the film uh, I, I like owen wilson yeah owen wilson's great he's got some great lines keith keith david does good work oh the, right so well. Harry, you're stepping out with the team i guess so yeah yeah uh, yeah that's true we can come we can yep. come back to that yeah but yeah i would absolutely say keith david's brilliant he, he's, he gives great side eye yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh peter stormare is great he's oh, a, wow yeah he's always great <laughs> Uh, but he's especially good in this. I mean, it's an amazing cast. It is, and actually there isn't... Well, maybe, I know Mitch, you seem to think that Liv Tyler's the weak link. I'm a little cold on that, yeah. yeah I like Liv Tyler. Mm. I think her performance overall is is good. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't really see a weak link in the cast here. It is a 
pretty strong cast across the board. Yeah, but like, so at this point, they kind of become, they get Stamper off the rig, and he and Grace kind of depart and go and kind of meet well, everybody. Well, you're, you're missing something but, quite important here. The plan is already kind of in, in motion. We have a big, one of those real kind of dick-swinging competitions between the guys at NASA, the kind of scientists and the military, and the military's plan is just to launch, I think, every nuke on Earth at the asteroid to try and blow it off course. Um, another plan that's kind of roundly laughed out the room considering that it's coming inexorably at 22,000 miles an hour towards Earth. And I think basically what's said is that it's that's the equivalent of trying to stop a train with a fart. And uh, yeah, at, at that point, that's when the decision is made to bring in the world's best deep driller. Yeah. So once Stamper gets there and he kind of has this conversation with Truman, yeah. And uh, basically kind of says that he's not going to be able to do this without kind of his guys. Oh, man. And so you get this montage where everyone gets rounded up. Uh, he goes to get AJ. And I think you learn a little bit more about um, their relationship. I think that you know that despite the fact that kind of Bruce Willis has given him a pretty hard time mm-hmm. uh, earlier on, you can kind of tell from the way that they talk to each other, there's a little bit of kind of mutual respect going on there. Yeah. This is the point and the film starts falling apart for me. Oh, really? Yeah. What? <laughs> Uh-oh. Go on. <laughs> I've poked the bear. <laughs> I, I think I kind of have to agree with Ben Affleck. Um, and it's not every day, it's probably never hear me say that again in my life. But I think it's at this point that the, the logic and the plan starts to irritate me. And that irritation never really disappears. I think there are two kinds of people in this world. Which <laughs> the kinds of people by, that get irritated by the lack of logic and the kinds of people that are like, I don't even care. I love it so much. I'm so entertained. And I would say I'm the latter. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that you, you've, you've probably got a point. I think that it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you've kind of got to embrace it. Yeah. I, I always feel quite sad for um, Chick. Which one's that? He's the guy who he's just constantly gambling and he's like he doesn't get to see his wife and kid. And, um, Will Patton. Yeah, Will Patton's character. I just always feel I feel really sad for him. He's yeah. he, he on this watch. He was one of the characters that really kind of affected me. Yeah, he has a sad little story, which I actually really love. Like we don't spend so much time with him and his backstory, but the little time we do spend with him, you get so much about him yeah that. i'm guessing there's some kind of gambling addiction or something at play that's caused his wife to leave him because that's literally all he does and in the scene yeah. where they're asked to write down their demands i suppose for taking on the mission all he wants is like an all expenses paid trip to caesar's palace so it's kind of tragic the whole way yeah and yet he cares so much about bruce willis Oh yeah, I think they're all kind of ride or die for Bruce Willis, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, like I've, I've, yeah, when when they're making all their demands, they kind of like, you get these kind of like kind of like pretty stereotypical macho picks and like people who kind of want like parking tickets to be made disappear, like fifty three parking tickets or whatever. And yeah, like his his his, his demands way simpler. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. nice. I wrote all the demands down. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, I just want to say something. AJ uh, gets fired after the kind of explosion on the oil rig with, the, with the, the strike oil because he's doing what AJ does and he's being a bit reckless, pushing things too far, further than they should be pushed. And he causes pretty much the whole oil rig to collapse. But then he gets fired at that point. And then in the next scene, he has himself set up with his own business. And he's Yeah, seems, it's really fast. <laughs> seems to be, he seems to be doing quite well. He's got his own oil field. It's really, the timeline doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit elastic. Fair, I agree. Fair play, fair play to him. But um, uh, I, want, I want this list of demands, though. Oh, you want the list of demands? Yeah, hit Okay. Me. First up, we had Oscar wanting his, t- his parking tickets wiped. Yeah. Uh, Noonan, uh, who is a kind of faceless character. He, you see him very briefly. He's kind of a red shot. 
Uh-huh. He's got two women friends that he would like to be made American citizens. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, and then the peculiar caveat of no questions asked. Oh my. Which is unsettling. <laughs> Max, who, who I like, I like Max as well. Um, he wants the return of eight track tapes. <laughs> Check wants a full week's Emperor's package at Caesar's Palace. Again, sad, yep. And Bear, Bear wants to stay at the White House for the summer. <laughs> I feel like, I feel yeah, like I a weekend like would be pushing your luck. <laughs> And then, like, there's kind of a there's like a, a montage after this of them all getting their kind of the medical training. Yep, all again set to the music of Aerosmith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um yeah, there's such a it's such a package deal, isn't it? Um, there's so much. Yeah, Aerosmith I here. don't know. I don't know what was at play here. I don't know what unholy pact uh, with Michael Bay that uh, Steven Tyler made. Um, all that you went. can have my daughter, but she must use all my music. <laughs> or vice versa. Um, I will be in your film, but you need to have pretty much every song my dad's ever made. Because <laughs> I think there's at least five Aerosmith tracks in this. The only thing, the only song that I can, and I was curious, um, and I remember what, because I remember when it came on, right at the start, like when you get, you know, the, the first scenes of the meteor shower hitting. Um, and there was a song and I was like oh that doesn't sound like Steven Tyler what's going on and I shazammed it and it was um, Mr. Big Time by John Bon Jovi on his own oh, not right. Bon Jovi oh, right, okay. a John Bon Jovi's a Jovi solo effort but yeah like most of the rest of it Aerosmith actually and Jen was it, was it like this with you because we were the same age when this came out you know how obviously when everyone thinks Armageddon they think the Aerosmith them, I don't want to miss a thing yeah um, that then went on to maybe have like a f- a, from where I'm from anyway it went on to have this five or six year golden run of being like the last song at the end of night is like at like school discos and things like that it was everywhere and people were obsessed with it uh, in a way that way outstayed the cultural fascination with the film <laughs> definitely middle school dance you had your I don't want to miss a thing dance and I personally have carried that with me so again every romantic partner that I had after I show them uh, Armageddon I then let them know that I don't want to miss a thing is our song and anytime they hear it they have to think of me and I definitely um, sang it for many karaoke parties Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't do it at Fright Fest. I know. What did, I sang Alanis Morissette at Fright Fest. I remember that. Was that was it You Ought to Know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I think I, th- I think for, for the occasion was probably more appropriate. Yeah, I feel yeah, like... It has a little bit of a more intense kind of thing. Yeah, more of a bite. I feel like that. Uh, I don't want to miss a thing. bringing it down a little bit. Yeah. Barely. You got to read the room. Yeah, there's <laughs> al- there's, always, there's yeah. always fucking one, though, that gets up and sings like, Everything I do, I do it for you or something. Like right at the moment where people are hitting out with crackers, some fucking idiot gets up and sings <laughs> something like that. And you're like, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. The awkward thing of the person that does karaoke that can really sing and picks a ballad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we get kind of our first proper look at the uh, romance between AJ and Grace here. Um, with what is the first of I actually thought we would get more I don't want to miss a thing in the film, but it's like a kind of a paired back version of it. Yeah, um, the place we get here. Uh, this is the animal crackers part, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't like the animal crackers, but yeah, I struggled with this. I must say, I, I, as an intro, I think as an intro to the romance of all, I was a little bit cagey on the animal crackers as foreplay thing. People always remember the animal crackers scene. <laughs> They're like, 
Armageddon. Oh, the the movie with the animal cracker scene. See, I I, I didn't realize. Obviously, I didn't that like, wouldn't be my go-to if someone said to me, "Think of the first scene that you think of from Armageddon." I think it would maybe be the bit where. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan's getting an enema. Is it Michael Clark Duncan's getting an enema? Oh, I believe so, while yeah. The, while the nurse sings uh, the American National Anthem? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that's weird. <laughs> See, like, like, it, oh, no, it's Buscemi getting, a, getting a, an enema. It's, um, there's, there's, some, there's some really eccentric moments in the film. Yeah. I think, that I kind of wasn't expecting. None more so than when the fucking money turns up, when Udo Kier turns up. I had to I, I had to pause it to double check it was Udo Kier, because yeah. I was so surprised to see him there. Another one who's turning up in loads of films on the podcast now, because he was on, he was in Johnny Mnemonic as well. Mm-hmm. That is funny. Um, so once they're all kind of there and set up, uh, I'm kind of curious about your take on this, Jen. Um There's a scene where they're kind of out, and I don't, I don't think it's a strip club as such that they're in. It's like it's a club. I think it is. Is that a strip club? Um, I think that kind of this as a scene of them kind of just being like raucous hasn't aged particularly well. Yeah. I mean, look, the movie itself hasn't aged particularly well. There's so many moments that are like kind of racist and kind of sexist, but it's representative of what was okay in the late 90s. And it's nice to you know we watch these movies now and we're like oh man this wouldn't you wouldn't have this moment now so i I think it's a nice measure to see like how far we've come as a society i um i i I think that's true and that's something that i kind of find increasingly kind of irritating is um people are catching up with things like i remember when you know when friends first came to netflix i don't know if it's there in the u.s or if it's been there for a while but relatively recently friends came to netflix in the uk and there was kind of this fairly widespread talking about the various ways that people thought it was problematic and i think that it's quite harsh to talk about things that are obviously a a product of its time Mm -hmm. um, and hold it to the kind of standard of accountability that we do now because i think that if there's an understanding that our generation kind of know better and are more progressive about this kind of thing you have to also understand that 20 years ago people knew worse so i think you're right i think I, i don't think that you should write things off for that reason but just kind of like let it inform how you look at it i think using it as a measure i think is a good way of putting it yeah uh, although plain devil's advocate here uh, michael on. bay has come under some flack ever since this is pretty much his whole career for uh things that might be deemed inappropriate nowadays particularly slavish about uh young women's bodies and bums i remember this yeah this like transformers yeah. thing wasn't it yeah, yeah yeah for the record i don't like any other michael bay movie besides armageddon oh that's interesting the, the rock is like okay I feel like The Rock was like him practicing for Armageddon, a lot of, <laughs> but like the Transformers movies, I don't care at all about Pearl Harbor. I didn't, I didn't really particularly care for that. What else has he made besides Transformers and Pearl Harbor? Pain and Gain. <laughs> uh, I didn't is, see it. I did not uh, see that. You're not, you're not missing anything I particularly. Did not, I did not uh, see that. It's, it's not particularly great, to be honest. So I will not defend Michael Bay. In general, but I will defend Armageddon. That's an important distinction. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is important. Yeah, that's what that's yeah, that's what that's worth noting. I think there's something I want to talk about here. And um, see Armageddon. This is one of the reasons that I wanted to do this when you suggested it, Jen, is because this kind of thing is not the kind of thing that I would generally seek out to watch on my own. So when somebody suggests something like this, I'm more inclined to go for it because I kind of know that I'll be watching something that is going to be alien to me in some way. And with this, a lot of things about this, I'm not used to watching kind of like things of this scale from this era and things that are kind of like this brash. And because I kind of feel like every scene in this is going to some kind of extreme. 
whether it's like mm-hmm. hitting a plot beat or an emotional thing or an action thing. I'm not really used to that. I kind of watch this, and this is, I don't mean this as a criticism or a compliment, really. I felt like I was watching this kind of from the, with the same kind of curiosity as you do when you're like watching animals at the zoo. I was genuinely fascinated by like, where is this going next? <laughs> Because I, like I say, it's the kind of filmmaking I'm really just like not accustomed to. And I thought this when you had straight off the back of AJ and Grace Mm -hmm. and then the kind of strip club sequence and then them kind of getting shouted at for the the kind of the fact that that's now leaked to the press and all this thing. And then um, this kind of tender moment before they take off between Bruce Willis and Liv Tyler Mm -hmm. and then straight into kind of space stuff. I, one thing that I kind of want to ask you, Jan, actually, I think that, I think this is interesting because of um, what we know about the kind of uh, the films that you make or the films that mm-hmm. you've been involved in and things. So you obviously you said that you don't particularly like you don't like other Michael Bay films, but you love this. Wh- what is this like? Where does this sit on the spectrum of your general taste in movies? So I'm not really a big fan of blockbusters or disaster movies, to be honest. Most of the time when I'm watching these movies, I get really bored because it's just explosions. And I often will fall asleep during these kinds of movies. Like there's just some explosion after explosion after explosion that just like puts me to sleep. I'll be sitting in the movie theater and then like my boyfriend will wake me up and be like, like nudging me to wake me up. So I'm really not a fan really of these kinds of movies, but something with Armageddon, it just kind of straddles this. Yes, it's got the disaster element and yes, it's got the action element, but you know, the sci-fi element Tonally, it kind of straddles all these different subgenres. It's like really funny and then it's really intense and then it's making you cry. And I think it's because there's so much attention paid to the characters in the movie and the character relationships, even though it's all kind of tacky in a way. I mean, that's also part of why I love it because it's just kind of shameless and it's tackiness. <laughs> um, the characters do, like, there still is like, there's stuff going on there between the characters and it's really about the different character relationships. I'll say that with the Ranger and a lot of the time I talk about my punk influences for that movie, but actually I would say, I mean, there's the other side of it, which is the Ranger influences. And I think that Armageddon, just my love for this movie definitely played a role in developing the Ranger and that character and his, you know, aspects of the patriotism. I think the Ranger character would be a little conflicted because these guys are oil drillers and he'd be like, oh, that's not good for the earth. But (laughs) on the other side of the token is that um, they're saving the earth. So I think the Ranger would like that they were saving the earth. (laughs) But just the fact that it's like so just so much love for uh, America that whole thing, I think, definitely went into some of the development of the Ranger character. The Ranger wishes he was in Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a scene in this film that I'm pretty sure I haven't seen in any other cut I've ever watched. Okay. When I knew we were going to be doing this, I actually went out and picked up the DVD. And uh, yeah, there's a scene... Now, I don't know if this was in the version that you watched, Mitch, or if it's in a version that you've ever seen, Jen... But there's a scene where Bruce Willis goes to visit his dad, played by Lawrence Tierney from Reservoir Dogs. I have not seen that scene. Same, same. Yeah, it's in the DVD that I've got. And he goes and has a chat with his dad, tells his dad what he's going to do. And he's basically said, he says, he makes some kind of analogy to kind of tending roses and stuff like that. 
Um, and then it comes back again and Bruce Willis's chat with Grace at the end. Okay. None of you guys seen this? No, that, that definitely wasn't the one I saw, Jen. No, that's not, no, that's uh, not on the yeah. Blu-ray that I own. Well, it was in the, it's in the DVD <laughs> that I watched and it, I was like, I'm sure I haven't seen this. But yeah, it's just a really kind of cheesy scene, I guess, to flesh out Bruce Willis's character a little bit more. It's an interesting thing to leave out of any cut, though. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty much it's space time. It's almost space time at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's it, the film kind of gives that the sense of occasion that it needs because the build up to this is very cinematic, very drawn out, and but also kind of like because you're you're heading all over the world with the montage, and they do this a few times. Yeah, they travel the world in montage um, simultaneously, but it's daylight everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I like that in the beginning, Billy Bob Thornton makes a point of saying how awful it'll be if everybody finds out about this. And then in the montages later, after everyone found out about it, everyone is like pretty chill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no riots in the streets or anything like that. Because yeah, he's like, uh, pretty, he's like uh, pretty much the worst parts of the Bible, sir. And uh, there's, yeah, there's nothing. Everyone's just kind of hunkering down and kind of just spending some time with their loved ones. Yeah. You know, you know what? I hadn't even considered that, but the, but the global reaction to being like two weeks away from complete devastation um, is so chilled. Yeah, there's like I, like literally not one like no aghast faces whatsoever. Well, you get there's no. a lot of upturned faces. Yeah, basically. a lot of like troubled looking. There's a lot of people standing just gazing at the heavens. Yeah, which is I guess fair. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we're we're off and I can I, I quite like the scene when they're getting kind of when they're getting kind of strapped in. Yeah, when you've got the president giving that pretty brutal speech. Yeah, um, very abrupt. Uh, and and get delivering it with a requisite level of gravitas, I think. Oh, definitely. Uh, I don't imagine America's current president delivering it with such aplomb. No. The president, by the way, same president as in The Rock. Yep. <laughs> oh, seriously? I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, are these like two worlds connected? Hmm. <gasps> The Bainiverse. The Bainiverse, aye, yeah. yeah. Later on in his presidency, he faces this. Yeah. After facing the devastation of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, is, this, is like, this is his second term. I, think, yeah. I mean, as bad as the, the outcome of The Rock could be, I think the stakes have been raised quite significantly here. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite kind of like set pieces comes up once they're actually out and they're kind of up in space. Right. Which is, for some reason, I really enjoyed the sequence where the two of them clamp on to the, the when they, to the, when it clamps on to the Russian space station. On him. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I found that entire thing really satisfying. What are you talking about? I can't quantify it. What the fuck are you talking about? What, you watching know. the clamps clamp on? Yeah. Dude, you're fucking weird. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to, in a film where there's so much going on. I know it's a weird thing to kind of zero in on. But yeah, but more importantly, um, we get an, an introduction to one of the film's MVPs. Yeah, uh, Cosmonaut Andropov. I love yeah. it. I love that that's his. I love that that's his name in the credits. Yeah, he's pretty great. I don't believe they would leave him up there for eighteen months on his own, though. That seems kind of cruel. Maybe people have visited from time to time. <laughs> just visits. Yeah, uh, just, just checking in. Just, I, although I think that he he sells how crazy you would have gone if you'd been in isolation for that long in space when when you meet him. Definitely. But then Steve Buscemi's up there for about five hours and loses his fucking mind. <laughs> Like, sure. com- completely loses his fucking mind. This section is like, I feel like the movie wants to blame Ben Affleck for doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. and exploding the space station, but actually it's definitely Peter Stormare's fault for leaving him down there by himself and just expecting him to, like, understand what to do. Yeah, that happens a lot. 
Um, that's a, that's a really good point, actually. Uh, ben Affleck uh, is kind of the he's kind of the weapon boy throughout the film for a lot of the stuff that goes wrong. <laughs> I mean, he's not an astronaut, guys. That's true. He is a driller. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See the kind of when they're kind of out there next, and there's kind of leaks, and they have to like race back to the shuttle. Uh-huh. And things. One thing I love as an as a device for upping the tension right. in these kind of sequences, I love it when you just get a picture of a dial. That's going where the arrow's going from green to red. Really oh, yeah. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> you like weird stuff, man. Like you like the mechanism of clamps, the operation of dials. Detail. Yeah, let's go with that. Thank you. you. That, that makes me sound like way less of a weird guy. Thanks, Dan. You must love the start of Back to the Future. Oh, don't don't get me started. <laughs> I think this scene suffers for a little bit from uh, what you were talking about, Jen. For me, where um, there's just so much going on that I just kind of my eyes were just kind of glazed over watching it. What is going on? Like, how has it got to this point? From them, like, why is there so much fire? So fast, so quick. <laughs> I was just, I don't understand at all how we've got here. They just destroyed the Russian space station within like two minutes of being there. <laughs> <laughs> Americans, see, I'm, like, legitimately, this happened to me a couple of times, and this goes back to what I was saying about not being used to watching this kind of thing. Uh-huh. There was a couple of times where there was like, an absolutely breakneck action sequences. Uh-huh. Um, where a lot of stuff kind of to my untrained eyes just seemed to be like indiscriminately exploding right and yeah, eventually yeah. like like when when you were like a minute or two deep into something like that i was like wait a minute what's happening here yeah that's what i'm like that's um, what i was like during this scene i had no fucking idea what was going on or how it had got to this kind of critical mass so quickly from them arriving there somehow they all managed to survive and get off the ship yeah. even though it's like major destruction yeah with a cosmonaut in tow yeah yeah Strong stuff. Which works out fine because just about everyone else dies, so there's plenty of room for them ultimately on the return trip. See, but we cut back to Liv Tyler here, and I, don't, I just remember having my notes that I was thinking, and this maybe says something a little more about what I was saying about fit being 50 50 on in the film. And I kind of had a little thing about the fact that I feel like she doesn't have very much to do. Agreed. Which I think is also a, probably a trope of this kind of thing as well. Like, I think the kind of underwritten female characters in this Ooh. kind of role is, you know, it's like that's not a criticism unique to this film. Absolutely. <laughs> it, no, it's, it's extremely frustrating to watch a movie where Liv Tyler is just like sitting around waiting for the dudes in her life to save the day. Don't get me wrong. Also, another similarity in The Rock, Nick Cage's fiance just like hangs out with the feds waiting for Nick Cage to save the day. And Sean Connery like has a visit with his daughter and he has a whole daughter thing going on in that yeah, movie. That's right, yeah. So it's kind of like an Armageddon Michael Bay just like took that and then like combined it. So it was like one character in Liv Tyler and she had this father daughter relationship and the boyfriend relationship. Yeah. Another thing that I think that I think that we in general are getting better at. Absolutely. It's at this point, I would say that my attention really starts to go because it just becomes what I would only consider a preposterous comedy of errors. <laughs> a lot of stuff does go wrong. It all goes wrong. Everything goes wrong at every single turn. Yeah, I think I, I, this this section does feel a little overloaded to me in terms of mishaps and things. <laughs> yes. I, I, I well, although one thing, because obviously you get you get this kind of a fairly protracted scene of them being a sequence of them being up here, mm-hmm. and um, this when we're talking about people in the undercut, like kind of the supporting cast being really solid it was at this point that i thought about um how much i generally rate william fichtner and things he's brilliant because i think that he kind of comes to the forefront he comes to the forefront obviously as this moves towards its end he comes to the forefront in a way that's kind of significant if you've got billy bob thornton on earth being the kind of 
the guy that's kind of shackling this and keeping it straight. Mm-hmm. I think that in space, it's William Fickner's character. Well, Keith starts to go crazy later. He yeah, he, he, gets, he gets kind of a, he gets kind of erratic, I guess. He becomes our villain briefly. Well, if you take the uh, asteroid out of the equation, um, he kind of briefly becomes our sole villain in space. But he's only following orders. Really, the government... Or the villains. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So I like, like I say, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a stint here where this gets quite heavily bogged down in the mechanics of drilling. But the way that it kind of pulls it out of that is with um, something that I didn't actually see coming was um, when things are looking pretty bad, you kind of discover that secondary pl- protocol or like the plan B is to just remotely detonate the bomb and wipe everyone out. Which isn't going to work. Like we've already been told you can't do that. We even got the example with the firecracker in the hand. Yeah. And if you just hold it, your hand will get hurt. But if you close it, your hand around it, then your hand will explode. So we already know, NASA, that you can't just explode <laughs> the nuclear bomb on the surface. You have to drill. <laughs> That's the last ditch attempt of the desperate man, isn't it? It's just like, fuck it. Let's just hope for the best. This whole mission's a bit like that. See, I totally totally didn't realise that I really had a dog in the fight for how this film was going to end until they were like, we're going to detonate the bomb. And I was like, don't fucking do that. We know that won't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now we're suddenly all NASA scientists. We are, we suddenly know everything about drilling because of this. <laughs> I know. I, I was sitting going like that. Oh, he's he's going to blow a tranny. Is like, it? Is it? Look, rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. It's just so so much stuff at this point. It felt like they were wasting a lot of time, particularly round about the, when the bomb's going to go off and they're talking and talking. I was like, move your fucking asses. <laughs> Like, everything in this film has to come down to that last second, down to the wire. Yes. I think that this whole movie, though, is like everything is so down to the wire. Every single part of this whole second half of the movie, it's like me when I'm like trying to rush to meet somebody and I took too much time doing something else. So then I'm like running through the city trying to get to a meeting. And it's like NASA should not be like me. (laughs) Like, NASA should be better than that. Because <laughs> inevitably, when you spend so much time doing one thing, when you realise you're spending so long doing that thing, then you half arse what's left to do of that one thing, and then you turn up late to what you were supposed to be at, yeah, and then on. you fuck that up, and then you've got a knock-on effect, hence the comedy of errors that we're faced with here. And this is why none of us work for NASA. <laughs> I, I really think I should, after this. I love at this point, this is when Steve Buscemi starts losing his mind, and one of my favourite moments is when he's uh, Dr. Strange loving it on the bomb. Oh yeah. And William Fickner says to him, get off the nuclear warhead. <laughs> and he's just kind of he's just kind of stomping around going, no nukes, no nukes. <laughs> what I would say, I mean, like, and I, have, I, I came away from this with pretty mixed feelings overall, but I think that I found it to be considerably funnier than I expected it to be. I think there's a lot of incidental stuff that I think is pretty funny, pretty amusing. And I think a lot of it does come from Steve Buscemi. He's good. But yeah, that moment where they're trying to stop the nuclear bomb and they have to like cut the wire, it's so classic action movie. So cheesy, but so wonderful all at once. I, I, th- I think that there's, there's a kind of... I remember watching that sequence and think that there had to be an element of self-awareness to that because you're right, it's such a classic thing right down to the fact that there's the giant digital readout to, <laughs> t- <laughs> to tell you how long there is left and stuff like that. I think they had to know what they were doing there. But yeah, uh, Rockhound's got space dementia and Max gets blown off into space. It's absolute carnage. And oh, well, we didn't touch on the fact that only one spaceship actually makes it in one piece to the asteroid. Uh, th- yeah, at this point, it's kind of throwing revelations at me. 
<laughs> at a rate that I couldn't process. I uh, to the point that I will I will admit that I paused it at one point and um, uh, opened the Wikipedia page for the film and just like read up to that point because I was like just wanted to make sure that I had an understanding of exactly what had gone wrong, who was affected, and at this point who had died. <laughs> All right, yeah. And yeah, uh, Owen Wilson's character's gone by this point. That other guy who's there for some reason uh, is gone. Yeah, they're getting knocked off left, right and centre. Yeah, and like you say, the other spaceship has failed. It's crashed, so nobody knows. Everyone just thinks that um, when when their uh, drill isn't working, that that's the end of it. And then you have another world montage where everybody finds out they're about to die and everybody is taking the news in a pretty chill way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah like, everyone, everyone in the room with Billy Bob Thornton watching it are as panicky as the rest of the world is totally zen about it. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of aghast faces in, mm-hmm. in that control room. By the way, uh, when you see Rockhound's been taped up to the chair, uh, I was like, that's a bit ludicrous that they've done that, but that is NASA protocol. If someone starts behaving like that, that they would be duct taped. Um, wow! I looked into it. <laughs> really? Act- yeah, it's actual NASA protocol. I guess that makes. I guess, I mean, I mean, obviously, like it looks, it, it looked weird, and I thought the same. I was like, would that happen? It's and uh, obviously more full me. <laughs> So where are we now with this film? We've got the hole is now being drilled. Ben Affleck's there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we're, we're pretty much, we're getting to the point where it's kind of like, it's kind of at critical mass. It's at this point that my notes feature such things as, this is fucking lunacy, <laughs> absolute cods wallop. I've got fuck off when they're lowering AJ into the into the the guts of the asteroid to well, cut away a pipe. I think that I think that this is where we're kind of getting to. It's time to thread the bomb. Is the kind of bare bones of it at this point, right? Because well, I mean, you've Bruce Willis and Co. Kind of the 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 drilling is done. They get the drilling done, which I think as a kind of suspenseful moment, I quite like when they're counting like up to hitting the distance down. You know, Ugh, it's all it's all one big suspense moment. Wait, guys. Can I hop back for a second? Because I, on my most recent viewing, I realized a slight hole, maybe, in the story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do not believe that for a minute. <laughs> Which is that, um, so there's two bombs, right? There's a bomb on each ship. Yeah. And the government is only trying to blow up the bomb that Bruce Willis is near. And they seem to have forgotten that there's another bomb that exists. If they really wanted to blow up the asteroid from the outside, they could have blown up the other bomb on the other ship. That was a very good point, Jim. <laughs> and perhaps something that bears digging into. Yeah, perhaps there's an issue with regards to some kind of communications, given that the ship is completely demolished. Oh. That's a good answer. But, yeah, but you know, I mean, like... the. If like you say, if you were of a mind to detonate, I think you could still try. Yeah, you can give that a go. But no, that's a fair point. You're kind of. Cru- I think the, your crucial moment here is the drawing of straws. Yeah, the decision is reached that someone's got to go down. The but bo- yeah, the bomb cannot be detonated remotely anymore, um, and that someone will have to stay and manually do that. And the fairest way is to draw straws. This must be fucking horrible for Liv Tyler's character sitting in the control room watching this madness play out in front of her. I like that they just had the straws like ready to go. They just like had straws on reserve. But um, yeah, uh, so AJ, Ben Affleck, draws the short one. Yeah, this is where it starts, man. This is where you need to get your hankies ready. Yeah, yeah. I want I, I, considering that we've all made admissions about getting um, emotionally affected to varying degrees about what's about to happen. Yeah, I want to get into this and get reactions from everybody. So they go down. Uh, Stamper basically says that he's going to take him down. Yeah, he's gonna, uh, take uh, AJ down to show him what to do, basically. Escort him. And at that point, he makes the ultimate sacrifice. 
like throws him back in mm-hmm. shuts the door and you have this kind of he's basically going to sacrifice himself instead so AJ can go back live a full life and so on uh-huh. at what point in this scene were you starting to think oh man kind of starting to really get kind of like emotionally dug up by this do you like Jen what about you like where does this start where, where does this film where does this scene start hitting you in the fields I think it's um I, I think it's probably when they're going down it begins but then it really hits when he pushes him in the thing and you realize what he's doing and he's gonna sacrifice himself and Ben Affleck can't even do anything because now he can't even breathe out there so yeah, that's right yeah Bruce Willis has put him in a position where he Ben Affleck has to go back up. Yeah, like yeah, he, he like he couldn't double back on that if he wanted to. And then Ben Affleck saying like "I love you" as he's like going up the thing. Uh. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's when he, he says to him, "I always kind of always viewed you as my son." Which I, I mean, that must have been weird then for Harry when he found out that he was banging his daughter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the bit that really gets me is when he's kind of the lift's going back up and kind of Ben Affleck's trying to get one last kind of look at Bruce Willis's character through the last wee crack of glass as it disappears and Bruce Willis goes my son I thought he said <laughs> I thought he said bye son I thought he said my son but, but I do but either way that was that was the moment for me yeah that was it for me it took until that moment but the sign off <laughs> I was like oh man this film's hitting me harder than I expected it to and then the the call with Liv Tyler is like so sad. It's just tears streaming. Oh Jesus! Yeah, that yeah, like, that's straight after, isn't it? Fucking hell! Yeah. It's worth mentioning in case you missed it that he does threaten to haunt her in the in the, in the call. He <laughs> "Oh yeah, I'll check in." He on says, you from "I'll time check in on you from time to time." Oh, don't, don't, oh, yeah. don't do that! Don't do that! Um, yeah. <laughs> and you kind of get your final round of explosions after this goodbye and I think yeah I think that considering um, so much of maybe about the last hour of what we've just seen has been kind of like action scenes that started to feel kind of interchangeable to me I think it, it is good that they kind of gave a little bit of kind of heft and some airtime to Stamper's goodbyes to kind of everyone back on earth uh, to his daughter and to AJ mm-hmm. I think that like it, it's I think it was important that they spent some time on that yeah I mean this is like so powerful guys this moment <laughs> where he's talking to Liv Tyler and she's just sitting there with all the screens and her hand is on the screens oh my god it's like I'm bawling by myself <laughs> in my apartment watching it and and then Again, I think then you get a little bit of a rest while they're, you know, it goes back to the spaceship trying to get away. But yep. then the tears start streaming again when you go into his eyeball and you see her as a little girl. Oh, that's oh, right. That's <laughs> oh, man. That, that I think, was, that felt a bridge too far for me. <laughs> that, that was where I was like, ah, don't push your luck. You, want, you <laughs> wanted to go back to the simpler times of cogs and gears turning and clamps locking. <laughs> back to things that you like, your comfort zone. Uh, none of this emotional stuff. Give me the technical. Give me the in-depth technical stuff. This genuinely makes me sound like such a robot. <laughs> Uh, moving very swiftly on. Yeah, so Harry detonates, again, inevitably, right on the last second. Uh, and uh, the spaceship, considering it also has a bit of a rough landing, takes off like a plane and just glides off, no problem whatsoever. The spaceship is fine. Before the spaceship takes off, though, there's that moment where the female astronaut is down trying to like get it to work. And then Peter Stormare comes in and he literally like pushes her across the room. And that's a moment that's a little like, whoa, guys, like... 
Yeah, <laughs> fair, it, definitely. It does. It, it does warn her beforehand. He says, "Move, or I have to move you." <laughs> and then you're like, "All right." And then he, he does. He, he absolutely manhandles her. Yeah, um, you're right. That 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 didn't sit right. I agree. Yeah, and then he just hits it, and it works. And it's like that's funny for a movie, but actually, she is the one who would have gotten it to work in real life, guys. Yes, agreed. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. And then after this is kind of after this is kind of resolved itself, they're they're back home like almost instantly. I would say that their journey home is obviously you don't really want to see that, but they spend no time on it at all. They're I wanted to see every minute of it. <laughs> I actually think that the plan is riddled with flaws. Could that nuke not just have turned that into a million more enormous pieces of rock that would have destroyed the earth? I mean, yeah. If it didn't get past zero barrier, or if it got past zero barrier and then they exploded it, but they did the math, they did the science, and they knew that if they got, if they exploded it before zero barrier, then the Earth would be okay. And they did it. They succeeded. Yeah, they, they, they had the smartest man on Earth doing the math on that one. They did. Yeah, and the best oil driller on Earth. <laughs> and the best oil driller. I like again. I think I think at this point when they get back on Earth, kind of thing. There's some pretty satisfying stuff here with Billy Bob Thornton coming back over and. Um, but I think that generally the kind of emotion of this is there's a lot going on at once here. It's like the end of the Goonies. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> well, when they get the, like when they they kind of get back to the beach and the Goonies, like and all their families are there and like all their pals are there and Chunks reunited with Sloth and just decides that Sloth's going to live with him without telling his parents. Uh, <laughs> it's like that. Like Chick's wife has turned up, presumably a bit of a glory hunter. Um, <laughs> now she likes him. <laughs> yeah. Bitch. <laughs> uh, although I am quite, I am quite, I, I was quite happy that that story got a happy ending, even if it was a little bit mockish. Because, like you say, I think like his character, his character is like uh, pretty sympathetic, and uh, so yeah, I'm glad that it took the time to give him a little bit of a to give some, him a happy some closure. Ending. Yeah, yeah I okay, so. fair enough. Yeah. I think he needs it. But yeah, I mean, they're home. It's beautiful. Humanity survives until the day after tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think the sheer amount of adrenaline at the, after this, like when they arrive back on Earth, the sheer amount of adrenaline that would be pumping through the astronauts, pumping through our drillers, and pumping through our guys at NASA would fucking kill you. It would blow your heart up. <laughs> and with a kind of a, a quick look at Grace and AJ's wedding and an inevitable blast of Aerosmith, so concludes Armageddon. Um, <laughs> I feel like we, we barely scratched the surface there. We didn't talk at all about the 11 minutes at 9 Gs without a helmet on. Okay, college boy. <laughs> Easy there. <laughs> Take your fancy diploma. Um, Jen, this was a really interesting call. Like I said earlier, this is um, uh, almost the complete antithesis of a lot of the stuff that we generally do on the show, while also still technically fitting the profile. Yeah. Um, it was, and again, like I say, it's a kind of, it's a kind of, like this kind of blockbuster is something that I almost intentionally avoid um, when I'm choosing things to watch. So it's the kind of thing that I would have never, I would probably have never gone back to this were it not for this. <laughs> I like it's like I say. There's certain elements of this. There's a kind of over over earnestness to the thing that I'm completely incompatible with, mm. um, and it, like it's just it's just not my kind of filmmaking. However, I would say that I liked more of this than I expected to, and there were things about it that I liked more than I expected to, and a lot of that is down to some of the kind of incidental character moments and some of the kind of funny stuff. Mm-hmm. I like I like it's. I don't know if I'll go back to it again, but I got more out of it than I expected to. Good. I'm glad that you re-explored it. That's what we're here to do. Andy. Yeah. 
Did you take any more out of it on this view? <laughs> like I say, I, I found a lot more emotion in it. And, I, and again, I don't know if it's just me uh, softening over time and becoming more engaged with, uh, in my, <laughs> my older years um, with my emotions. Yeah, I find the first half of Armageddon quite charming, but it completely loses my attention in the second half. I just don't have a clue what's going on. And I like this kind of nonsense. I'm probably one of the only people in the world that saw 2012. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I like this this kind of madness. Um, but ugh, there's something about the second half of this film that just drives me crazy. And I think that's reflected in the notes that I took when I was watching it. Yeah. It was exasperation um, more than more than like... <laughs> and a desire to kind of move things along like hurry the fuck up uh, yeah um, I, I found that I think that like some, some of the kind of spectacle stuff um, I think it's kind of impressive as a technical feat but I, I'm a little bit kind of let's get to the next thing kind of yeah. thing but again I think that that's probably symptomatic of a lot of these kinds of films and I don't watch them habitually so I'm not used to that I guess well I go back to Armageddon I'm actually going to say maybe because well one I bought the DVD so I've kind of I've got an investment now um, and two, I actually think that there is quite a bit to love in the first part of it, and then a, a scattered few moments of great comedy stuff in the second half of it, despite the kind of stakes being so high, they still find time to not let it get too po-faced. Jen, I can't stress enough how much this feels like a win for you, because Andy was not into the idea of doing Armageddon. I think it's okay to tell you that now. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that getting you turned around to the point that you might rewatch it. Is quite a big deal. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I might, I might rewatch it, um, but it won't be anytime soon. Maybe I'll rewatch it in another twenty years. Um, there you uh, go. I think that's a good amount of time. <laughs> at which point, I'll just be like in floods of tears. There'll be like snot pouring down my face. <laughs> yeah. A little fact about Armageddon. Go on. Um, NASA now use the film in their management training program. <laughs> they set the management trainees down and get them to spot as many errors as possible. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and apparently there are at least 168 errors wow. in the science of Armageddon. So there you go. I, I quite like that as a test, though. I love that. <laughs> Jen's a, a way to sign up for the NASA management <laughs> training program. Jen, before we wrap up, obviously we touched on it a little bit while we were talking about Armageddon, but I do want to take some time to talk about the Ranger. Yeah. Um, which, uh, which I caught at Fright Fest this year. And um, I mean, I, I, I really like the Ranger. I thought, I thought it was great. I had a great time with it. The Ranger's not generally accessible yet. Um, so for anyone that's listening that's not familiar, uh, how would you sum it up? Yeah, so the Ranger is about a bunch of teen punks who get in trouble with the cops and they go to the woods to hide out where they come up against a killer park ranger. And it's kind of a mashup of uh, like 80s punk movies and 80s slashers um, with the color palette, this very uh, rainbow neon kind of color palette, all focusing around this girl who's trying to find herself. And um, yeah, I would say, as I said earlier, I, the ranger character, somewhat inspired by Armageddon. Which I think is cool. Um, so, um, see, uh, when you talk about, obviously, the kind of your, your main character in there, with the exception of the ranger, the only thing that I'd seen Chloe Levine in before this was The Transfiguration. Yeah. Which I thought which I thought she was great in, but this is a totally different ballpark, and she kills it here, too. Absolutely. I saw The Transfiguration at South by Southwest in 2017 when we were casting for The Ranger. Okay. And... Uh, her character in The Transfiguration and the character she plays in The Ranger, two totally different characters. 
And yet just her screen presence is like so amazing and her eyes and her ability to just um, express multiple emotions all at once. So I knew that she would bring like a lot of nuance to the character of Chelsea. It's and it's absolutely like fearless stuff performance wise. And um, yeah, the Ranger, kind of a pot- potentially iconic horror villain, I think. Like <laughs> this, this is some of the some of the kill sequences and some of the stuff that you have him say um it's really cracked me up uh, i had a blast with the film yeah jeremy holm who you might recognize from house of cards and mr robot ah okay awesome and uh, is there uh, anything else coming up anything else you're working on you want to talk about yeah i produced uh larry fessenden's new movie depraved which is a modern day frankenstein movie set in brooklyn and larry fessenden he's the head of glass eye picks he's mm-hmm. a writer director actor you've seen him in a lot of horror movies if you're a fan of horror I, movies i love larry i love his stuff yeah. yeah i know he's great but no we were actually we we're reading about depraved just kind of in the run-up to doing this we kind of we took we kind of had a little look at some of the stuff that you had coming up and i think depraved sounds great we're in post right now and very excited oh cool that's just what i was about to ask so jen where can people catch up with you on social media and stuff like that j underscore wex on twitter and bubblegum and blood on oh. instagram and um, the Ranger is all over. The Ranger movie is all over every social media platform possible. The cool. Ranger, the Ranger has an amazing social media presence. Yeah, a lot of it's done by Heather Buckley. Yeah, Heather's great as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know if, with the impossible exception now of you and Armageddon, I don't know if I've ever met anyone that loves a film more than Heather loves the Ninth Configuration. Yes. This impassioned stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, that might be true. Yeah, that is, <laughs> is pretty incredible. But yeah, I've got to say, I never ever ever expected that I would ever find myself in a situation where I would have to revisit Armageddon again. But here we are, I've done it. Come out the other side. I've found <laughs> perhaps a softer side to myself that I had forgotten about. So I think it's not it's not been without its upside. In like a year's time, you're gonna talk about this as being the turning point as you're like in like your emotional transformation. At a time, I rewatched Armageddon. <laughs> Jen, uh, all the best with uh, the rest of the festival run for the Ranger. All the best for Sitges, and thanks so much for doing this. Thank you guys so much. Thank this you. Is so fun. Thank you. So a controversial choice in a lot of ways, but pretty interesting conversation all in. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, didn't expect to go back to it. Um, and while I don't necessarily think I'll rush back to it, it's back uh, on your radar. It's back on my radar, and I, I had more fun with it than I recall having. I must admit, like I say, I mean, I, I, I'm, this is kind of out of my wheelhouse, but for whatever kind of problems I had with it, and we spoke a little bit about them, I was never not entertained by this. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a Michael Bay film. It looks like one, it feels like one. You could pretty much pause it at any scene and you could go, oh, Michael Bay made this. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to try and explore more kind of blockbuster action-y kind of stuff. I don't know what my road in should be. We should have a night. We'll do Independence Day. We'll do uh, The Day After Tomorrow. We'll do Deep Impact. Uh, We'll do Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) And then we can end on watching Armageddon again. Uh, that's been must. <laughs> so a big thanks to uh, the Ranger director, Jen Wexler, uh, swinging by and talking Armageddon with us. And that's just about it for another one, I guess. Jesus, yeah. Um, but we will, of course, be back on Monday yeah. with another mini-sode and all the usual stuff on there, including another edition of Mitch's Bitches, with or without input from my parents, although I can confirm that we have a submission. 
Right. From last week's. Uh, Are you going to save that till Monday? I am going to save that till Monday. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start saving them till Monday. Okay. And brace yourself. We're going to be talking about this quite a bit for the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. We're doing a live show. Yeah, we are. Our first ever live show, no less. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, Showroom Cinema in Sheffield is venue. We are joining the lineup of the 10th anniversary of Celluloid Screams this year. Yeah, massive thanks to Rob and the team for taking a gamble on us, considering we haven't been doing this for very long. But yeah, it'll be free entry. Uh, we'll have a bunch of stuff to give away. We might be giving away some beer. Um, but what we will certainly be giving away is some swag, uh, which came to us courtesy of those good and fine folks at Arrow Video. <laughs> And some pretty cool stuff in there. Yeah, we'll have some desks and some badges and some books, maybe. We'll obviously have books because I said it and I've looked in the 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 box as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll have those some books. And, of course, we'll have a guest and a film. Yeah, as um, normal. To talk about. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, kind of everything you get with a regular show with some mini-sode elements thrown in as well. In Everyone knows we're doing Mitch's Pitches. We're doing Mitch's Pitches live, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, gonna, it's, it's, it's my greatest test yet. <laughs> so, yeah, 3pm from the showroom cinema as part of Celluloid Screams. On October the 19th, we will be doing a live show. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope. I'm also kind of shitting myself. I'm not. I'm not in the least bit shitting myself. No? Okay. No, cool. no, no, I'm a bomb performer. Yeah. You're a bomb performer. There yeah, you go. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I was born for the stage. <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we'll be back on uh, Monday with the next regular Minisode. Yeah. Minisode 23. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get in touch in the meantime, feel free to do so. You can get us on Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, so as you know, there's a million places that you can listen to us, but the list keeps growing every day, Mitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've, oh, yeah, we have, some, we have some news on that. Yeah, we? we do. So as you know, you can get us on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Acast, and iTunes. P.S. If you're listening on iTunes, then please rate and review. Do it. Uh, we also can announce that we are now on TuneIn. Um, you might recall previously we discussed that we'd had some messages from people who were wanting to know how they could listen to us on their Alexa devices. Yeah, like Amazon Echo and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, all that kind of thing. Um, then TuneIn is the place to do that. We are on TuneIn and it is Alexa compatible. So you can check out the podcast on Alexa by uh, presumably screaming our names at it. Yeah, I'm assuming that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Think that, I think that's the science. <laughs> So we'll be back Monday. Join us then if you can. And in the meantime, don't forget, I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I'd miss you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.